Hello, I'm Michael Cantrell, and you are listening to the Prison Officer Podcast, a place to have a conversation about the forgotten cops that work in this country's jails, prisons, and correctional centers. A place for me to try to make sense of a career spent working inside the fence with some of the greatest people that nobody sees or recognizes for the important job they do to keep this world safe. If you love this podcast, hit the follow button, or better yet, share with your family, friends, or coworkers. Well, good afternoon, and uh, welcome back to the Prison Officer Podcast. I've been waiting to do this podcast for a while. I want to talk about uh, female officers and what they deal with in corrections. Uh, I've gotten a lot of uh, messages, emails, and people wanting me to discuss this on the podcast. And I've kind of put it off because it's not something that I can do by myself. I needed someone for an interview, um, someone who's dealt and can talk about uh, what she goes through. So I got real lucky the other day and and got to do some training with a friend, uh, Sergeant Natasha Blake. And I asked her if she'd mind coming on here and talking about being a female CO. Some of the stuff they deal with, that the male COs don't deal with, or or do they? You know, we'll we'll, we'll have that discussion here in a little bit. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, Natasha. Hi. How's everyone? <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here. You, uh, I'm excited to talk to you about this, about females in corrections and female correctional officers and what they deal with. So, just to let everybody know. You used to work at ISP, Iowa State Penitentiary, and and now you work at a sheriff's department. So uh, you've been in corrections a little while. Uh, How long have you been in corrections? I would say I was at ISP for seven years, and now I'm going on two years at sheriff's department in pre-conviction. Okay. So both both sides of the line. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so you're going to be the perfect person to talk to about this, and uh, so let's get started. Let me let me take you back a little bit, and I like to start off about you know where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Um, I'm from a little southeast Iowa, Fort Madison, Iowa, which is down in the little southeast corner that um, borders Missouri and Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, little fun fact. We do have there the largest functioning swing span bridge. Uh, you have to ta- pay a bridge toll to go across to Illinois. Um, it still swings open, closes, swings open for every barge that goes through. I'll so it can be either amazing to see or frustrating if you live there. <laughs> yeah, if you're waiting to get on the bridge. Well, that's cool. I've never been up through there. I'll have to, uh, that might be a good weekend trip to go up and see that. So growing up in um, that small town, were you aware of corrections? Did you uh, did you know people that worked in corrections? I wasn't necessarily aware of corrections itself. As far as the prison itself, it was built in... 1834 before Iowa was even a colony. So it is built in the middle of town. Okay. Um, so you drive by it every day. Um, so it's more of a, not so much a landmark because you see it every day and you just grew up. It's just a place that's there. Um, but it is a town where you either know somebody who works in corrections or you were related to somebody who works in corrections. Okay. Um, I was not related to anyone closely to me that worked there. Mm-hmm. So. And this was Iowa State Penitentiary, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So in high school, as you're going through career fairs and stuff, did, did corrections ever hit on your, your radar? Um, not necessarily as wanting to work in corrections. Um, I did, uh, pick for one of my outings. I was like, oh, that'd be kind of cool to go visit the prison. I had no idea what I was even really signing up for. Um, (laughs) it was more of a, oh, this looks fun to do, I guess. Get me out of class. And Mm -hmm. I was 18 years old, a senior in high school. We'll go find something to do, right? Right. So we went there. It was more of on the admin level. 
Um, they didn't exactly go over, it wasn't as far as the Scared Straight program or anything of that sort. We did not have any interactions with inmates. It was, you sat there and listened to adults tell you <laughs> the specifics of working. So at that point, you know, you're 18, that's not what you want to <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna move on. <laughs> <laughs> they probably didn't have popcorn. I mean, you weren't you weren't excited to be sitting there for that, probably. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. Nope. When did corrections come on your radar? Did you what did you do between high school and when you got on at ISP? Um, after high school, I had my son, um, who is now seventeen, mm-hmm. and I. I uh, needed to get a job, so I started working at a local pharmacy that was privately owned, so it was not a corporation with any benefits, insurance, anything of that sort. Right. Yep. Um, I got the job from my family member that I knew at the time, and they got me working there selling the front desk, selling pops and over-the-counter stuff, cigarettes when you could buy them there, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. (laughs) I worked my way up of being a certified pharmacy tech there and worked there for 10 years, not getting paid very much, no benefits, no insurance, no vacation, no overtime, none of that sort. So as I got older, I decided I really need to start looking for retirement and a future, a career in something. So, um, my husband at the time had one of his best friends working there who was also military and said, Hey, they're hiring. You need to apply. Right. At that time was early, I think it was 2014. It wasn't as known how to start in corrections. Uh, social media wasn't as big yet. Um, it wasn't advertised. It was very competitive sure. to get on. Uh, you had to know somebody to even know how to apply. Right. So they could even get you information. So. Yeah, I was telling someone the other day. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that always helped. I was telling someone the other day. Um, I don't think some people these days realize how lucky they are when they go apply for these jobs because I remember when I went and applied for uh, fire department, police department, there were hundreds of applicants for like six jobs. And when, when I applied as a correctional officer, you know, there were a bunch of applicants and they, they weeded through, you know, they, it they didn't take uh, just anybody. So I think that uh, it's really changed over the years. Now they're offering bonuses and uh, it's crazy. The opportunities. Um, I, had to go to the library actually to apply because nowadays you can just apply for anything on your phone. <laughs> so it's so easy to do. Um, they didn't have to take the initiative or put the work in, put the footwork in Oh yeah. to apply for it. So you really had to want it. Right. And like you said, it was, it's very competitive. Uh, my first interview, I think there was 70 people applying and interviewing. So Exactly. I don't think I've interviewed seven people in two seventy <laughs> people in two years where I'm at now. So No, I, I doubt it. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh the landscape's changed a lot when it comes to careers like this. So you decided to apply at ISP and how did that process go? Um I applied there and then they start with sending you you have to go through a uh more or less a test you have to take online to see where you're at and then you had to go in and watch a video it was a two-hour video and Mm. you had to test on it so that was my first also seeing what kind of an atmosphere it is Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking to myself this isn't that difficult it was a what would you do in this scenario Right. And I'm just thinking to myself, you just do the right thing. I Maybe it's the right thing I'm putting <laughs> down. I don't know. I have no idea what I'm looking at, but we're going to go through this. Right. Obviously, it went well. Right, right. <laughs> so then you have to interview, and I had never interviewed for a job before that one. 
ever in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I came in and it's, I mean, the building itself is intimidating if you're not used to that as well. And you sit down and I sat down at a panel of five men oh, yeah. and asking me questions of things. I have no idea really what I'm even talking about, to be honest. <laughs> um, you just kind of give your best answer you can with the knowledge that you have, you know, do your homework. Right. And it went well. I am not oblivious to the fact of being a female. They were starting to do the transition of wanting more females working there. Right. Um, that it is possible that I was picked for the position because of being a female. So I kind of kept that in the back of my mind and went in thinking, now I just have to prove that I'm the best female they can have. Sure. You know, confidence of you made the right decision because of me, not because of my gender. Right. And that's, that's a lot in life. You know, um, that may have been a quota situation that got you in there, but that doesn't mean that, uh, you can sit down if, uh, to still go in there and want to be your best or like you said, the best female that they could hire. I mean, that says a lot. And I think that's what they're looking for in those interviews is people with that type of gumption and like you said answering those questions with just doing the right thing i do find it interesting though do you feel like uh you know we're talking about female correctional officers and what it's like inside so really your first uh, experience with you know having an all-male board interviewing you that that kind of seems like a little bit of intimidation there maybe Uh, did you feel that way yeah it was yeah, I think it was pretty intimidating for one, never, ever interviewing for a job, let alone at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having, and it was higher-ups as well. It wasn't just regular correctional officers. Um, right. I was knowledgeable in the ranking system, so there was rank there. So that's intimidating <laughs> in itself as well. Sure. You know, having rank there, so... Just had to keep that confidence, keep my head up, and absolutely try to be the best I could be. Yeah. So, so tell me about your first day, uh, the first time that you actually walked in there. Um, the first time I walked in, we did a tour, and we were in our civilian clothes because that would have been the first day. You know, you get your paperwork, you do all that fun, boring stuff, and then we got a tour of the facility. And that was the first time I'd ever in person seen anything of this sort. Right. So in our town as well, they have a minimum facility that did all of the lawn work. So you'd see them in cemeteries, you know, around town doing that kind of work. But that was not in the factor of you're in a prison, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, ISP is one of the facilities as well that has the walls the brick walls they had the old death row at one point so it was very like tv you know you watch those shows on tv so (laughs) that's what you expect and you go in there and it's not necessarily the same right so um of course you get the cat calls and the demeaning comments and I just ignore it. I just keep going. Because at this point, I'm in civilian clothes, so I'm not in the authority position mm-hmm. um, yet. In my mind, that's what I'm thinking. I'm just going to keep pushing forward, ignore it, try listening to the officers that are taking on this tour and learning what I need to learn at this moment. Right. Um, and then once we started the process, you do training, um, a lot of platforms work classroom training, Um, then you do OJT before you go to a four-week academy at the Capitol. Okay. Um, OJT really just were with other officers. Mm -hmm. But I did notice walking in that the attitude toward the male officers, we had 10 in our higher class, three of us were females. Right. The attitude towards the male officers were a lot different than towards us. 
wouldn't say we were put on the outside, but the... Scrutinized? Were you being scrutinized more so than them? Yes. Okay. Yes. I felt like we were being watched harder. Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily looked down on, but more of that side eye from other officers than the male officers were. Right. And funny story is when I first was walking in, we had a female treatment director that worked inside the prison as well in a housing unit. And, you know, if you're a correction officer or a LEO, um, our sense of humor tends to be a bit darker and different than the civilian world. Right. Um, I had made a joke about I if it was a chastity belt or something, it was just a <laughs> passing joke to another officer, and she pulled me off to the side because she was afraid that I was truly afraid of something happening to me, like that I was actually looking for a chastity belt. And I just kind of looked at her in a bafflement because I stated to her, if I was really afraid of that, I wouldn't be standing here. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then years later, we still joked about it from time to time. Right. So how many female COs were there at that time? Did did you see other female COs? I would say about 12 to 18, maybe. Okay. uh, Female officers. Ranging from working there almost to their 30 years about to retire to new newer officers to one to two years. Hmm. So. And did they come and support you? Did, did any of them take you off to the side and, you know, give you a heads up on this or that and about being a I female? Think there was a few that did. There was a few that did. Um, more of the newer officers, the ones that have been there from one year to 10 years, Mm -hmm. not so much the more seasoned officers. Um, They were kind of already set in their, their way of, you know, not wanting the new officers yet. So. Yeah. It seems, you know, when I started at Missouri state pen, there were only a couple of females that, that worked the housing units. Now there were captain secretary and stuff like that, but very few females that worked the housing unit. The ones that I uh, remember had been there a while, but they didn't joke. They didn't talk. They walked in. They did their job for eight hours, and they left. And uh, I'm sure that was from years and years of this scrutiny or this, uh, you know, attempted manipulation. Did you ever have the feeling from the male or other female staff when you walked in that it was, uh, since they saw you as a female, do you, you think it was just waiting for you to fail? Do you think there's that expectation when you start as a female? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, while we were at academy, we had a female officer not make it through the academy. So when we returned, they looked at us all as we were failures. Right. Um, the other two of us that returned. And I remember my first time back from academy. So at this point, I'm a CDO or correctional officer on my own. I'm on their roster. Um, I got placed in the housing unit and I was placed on the top floor of a housing unit with another male officer. And he said, I said, so what are we going to do today? He said, you're going to sit there. We're going to do everything. (laughs) And I said, okay. All right. Wow. And towards the end of our shift, a inmate walked up to the glass and this inmate I had other dealings with later on as well. Um, he was quite a uh, character, shall we say. Okay. Um, he walked up in a very fast demeanor and said, what's your name? And I said, I'll let you know my name when I'm ready for you to know my name. You need to get going where you need to be. Mm. And that male <laughs> officer just looked at me and said, well, if I knew you were going to handle things like that, you could have done showers with us. And I stated, well, you never <laughs> asked me either. Sure. Um, but also in that time, they were in the mindset, especially the older seasoned officers, that you were nothing until your ink was dry. You don't talk, you don't anything until your ink was dry. Mm-hmm. Um, Proby. 
So I began in that time frame. (laughs) So I I think that goes to an, uh, uh, an important point because an inmate coming up to me as a young officer and asking my name would just be, my name's Cantrell, and then I'd just move on with my day. But as a female officer, inmates, that's the first step in them trying to gain information about you and possibly trying to uh, manipulate you. You guys have to be aware of that just just all the time. Uh, most definitely. It is a, I say, 24-7, mm-hmm. um, obviously not while you're at home, but while you are there from the time you walk in the door till the time you leave, you have to have a full mental guard up. Um, It is not a full shift of a physical demanding Mm -hmm. career, but it is a mentally straining as a female. Um, I still to this day do not give any inmate my pen. That is my pen um, because it begins with the smallest things as a, hey, can I have a piece of that gum? And as, you know, a normal human being out with your buddy, you're going to hand up, all right, here you go. Right. But that starts the snowball of these inmates. They are, their whole time, 24-7, is how can they get something from you? How can they get something over on you? And as females, you're a target because in our, we are built more to be more compassionate, shall you say, sure. uh, more mothering or caring mm-hmm. most of us <laughs> yeah. um and that's why the seasoned female officers you start getting calloused you start that is going to be your demeanor all the time is your guard up because they are trying to manipulate everything to get anything from you and they don't always get it from you um a lot of times they get it from other officers absolutely um, they manipulate everyone, I, male and female, but the male officers give them more information. And it's a tendency because they don't feel like they're getting manipulated. They're just having uh-huh. a conversation with another male. That's true. Now that you say that, I recognize that um, it's easy for me to say no. I know where my line is at. I know where the line in the sand is, and I, do, I probably do allow inmates to do stuff like, oh, ask me my name or or maybe cut up a joke that I wouldn't if I was a female officer having to look at being manipulated, like you said, 24-7. Wow. You're, um, you're right on with that. I hadn't sure. thought of that before. Let me, let me ask yeah. you another question because you mentioned 24-7, and one of the things we've talked about on this podcast in previous episodes is home life. So... As a a father, my wife stayed at home, and I went to work, and, you know, I came home and, and, and dealt with life in that manner. But as a mother, how did you, did you notice changes at home? Did you, did you notice more difficulties because you are the mother having to come home and, and, you know, deal with running the household also? Um, yes, at first, we kind of had a little bit of a hard time. Mostly because I became more, I would say, confident as well. My confidence, because you have to be a confident female working in corrections. You have to hold hold strong and be confident in yourself Absolutely. and your decisions. So my then-husband started there a year after I did, and we had two sons at home. Mm-hmm. So after he started, it got a little bit easier because we were able to relate. What he would understand exactly what I was going through okay. or what I was talking about. So it made things a lot easier. Um, I do feel like we became a lot more strict with our children <laughs> and kind of raising them in a way of we don't want you to even have a possibility of living that life. Right. And you also are open to how the human race can be, how negative and nasty the human race can be after the things you see. 
Sure. It makes you a little bit more nervous. I'm oh, more overprotective, for sure, even with my 17-year-old. <laughs> I am nervous of everyone he's around. I'm sure he appreciates that. <laughs> yeah, he, he does, for, for sure. <laughs> I'm still able to have a home life and also, you know, shut it off for a little bit at home. But yet, once I walk in the door, the guards up, you have to never forget that. Absolutely. And that's not only for the inmates either. Staff just as well. There, Yeah. Um, I'm sure you guys have to deal with uh, uh, the same things that happen in a lot of workplaces with getting passes made at you and people wanting to start up workplace romances and stuff, which I'm sure also makes the job difficult. Oh. So, yes. yeah. so now you're, you've been a correctional officer for a little bit and you're what assigned a housing unit. Is that where you're at at this point? Um, I was a, I got lucky enough to be a yard officer oh. before I became a sergeant. So, um, which was my favorite because I was able to be all over the place. I was assigned to a chow hall, to the rec yard, um, to do other tasks in housing units. So I was on the move quite a bit, which I really enjoyed. So you're seeing all staff, all inmates, mm-hmm. from lockup to the honor lifers to the medical wing. So Absolutely. I got lucky in that sense. Yeah, those were my yard officer, rover. Those were my favorite jobs. Um, I really hated getting stuck where mm-hmm. I did the same job for five days in the week. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> you get to see a, all of the institution. What are you dealing with as far as the other officers? Have they accepted you at this point? Or do you, do you does um, this always go on? I'm on a, for personally, for me, um, I felt accepted, I would say, after I was there and had been in a few situations, um, responded to alarms, fights, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing, held my own, okay. proven my own, kept my confidence, kept at the same level, mm-hmm. never strayed, never adjusted. I'm kind of a smart aleck, so <laughs> I spat back at the inmates and the staff just the same. I treated everybody the same. Right. Um, so by that point, I, I felt I had gained the confidence of my fellow officers to where we were going to battle together Mm -hmm. and they were okay with me being on the yard with them and being able to respond to a situation because you have to be confident in who has your back. Right. And I have seen six foot four 200 plus men run away from a fight where my five foot two self (laughs) is getting down. So, you know, it's not a matter of size, gender. It's a matter of fight or, you know, confidence. Sure. Sure. It's, it's what you're made out of. It it shows up Mm -hmm. really quick. So did Mm -hmm. you feel like, um, the officers had your back? Do you feel like the male officers had your back? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, I do. For the most part, it took a while. It mm-hmm. took a while. They have to see what you're about and see that you are not going to stray. One thing that I always did is I was always transparent when I was interacting with an inmate. Mm-hmm. I never talked quietly. I always, if you're going to talk to me, you're going to come to the door and everybody's going to hear what you're saying. Absolutely. Everybody's going to hear what I'm saying because I don't want anything left for translation. I was not going to put myself in a situation. Um, Always situationally aware. Nobody was allowed behind me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I took in the training and the suggestions from male officers and female officers and put it into myself. Mm-hmm. I think that gained their confidence in me that I wasn't there for a hot date or right. Right. <laughs> there to, you know, meet someone 
you know, on either end of the spectrum, if it was officer or inmate, because it happens both ways. I've seen marriages fail because mm. of needing somebody they work with, and I've seen marriages fail and officers get fired because of relations with an inmate, and I always conducted myself in a manner of professionalism and situationally aware. Right. So I think that gained the confidence of my male officers. By the time I left, seasoned officers were confident in me and to this day still want me to come back and <laughs> show these females how to right. conduct themselves. Right. Well, abs- keeping everything transparent, um, one of the things I learned from a, a female CO that was a friend of mine, one of the things, and I think there's two types of male officers, you'll see inmates who check out females as they're walking away. And you've got two types of officers, and one of them are the ones that just, they think that's just part of what a female has to deal with because they're in a male prison. And then you've got the other officers who will pull those inmates to the side and have a talk with them. And uh, so I was working the yard one day, and I saw an inmate who was checking out one of our female officers, a friend of mine. So after she got out of earshot, I snagged him up, you know, brought him over there and kind of put him up against the wall and said, listen, you're not going to you know, look, do that around me or anyone else. Those are officers just like everybody else. And I gave him the right act. Well, I guess it was probably the later that day or the next day I did mention to her, I said, you know, you keep an eye out on this guy. Cause, uh, you know, he was checking you out. I said, I took him to the side and took care of it. And she's like, don't do that anymore. She said, if you're going to take care of it, I want to be part of it because if I'm not part of it, then it looks like, I might be part of allowing it, you know. And so from then on, she she kind of made me start thinking about that. So if that had to be done, I would. I'd stop the inmate right there, call the officer back and say, hey, and we'd both talk to this inmate so that they, like you said, it's transparent that way. It's not something being done, you know, behind their back. That's spot on. That is spot on because not only... Um, yes, that happens a lot. I mean, they try to sexualize all females, mm-hmm. no matter no matter what. We become brothers and sisters, so you want to protect your sister, you know, but we also don't want to feel as if, because to, to them, then it looks like we're incapable right. to stand up for ourselves, mm-hmm. and it kind of takes that power away from us. That was how she said if, it. Yeah, if we are in it together and, no, this is my sister and you're not going to do this, you know, but you're there and you are um, a part of the conversation, mm-hmm. then it gives us equal power, if that makes sense. It's us against um, them. Yes, we are together. We are brothers and sisters. We are all officers, no matter your gender. And I try to instill that into my officers now being in a pre-conviction sheriff's office, which is a tiny bleep in the size of a prison. But a lot of these younger officers coming in, they are young. This is their first job. They've never been in this situation. Mm -hmm. And these inmates that are being housed, they've done this their whole life. They know exactly what they're doing. This is this is their life. Right. Um, I always tell them, you do not condone that behavior, but do not step on that officer's toes either. Mm-hmm. If they are handling the situation, let them handle it and let them check that inmate. And you need to back them up because you guys are partners. You guys are a team. Right. Yeah. It's got to be us against them. Yeah. They They look for any crack in that armor. And if, if they can see that it, there's that tiniest of crack between staff, that's where manipulation starts. I know you've probably seen it over the years. I have too. If they can ever, I don't know how to put it, uh, you know, split one from the herd. If they can ever find that officers who, who's on the fringe, you know, of the group or of the, the group of COs, they'll do their best to get that little wedge in there and, and, you know, tell them, Hey, they don't like you. And, and, and get them off to the side because that's how manipulation starts. Uh, as soon as they don't think they're oh, part of us, 
the only thing left is for them to think they're part of them. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I try to tell new officers too, because I've seen it and been on the outside of it when I first started, you know, they kind mm-hmm. of secluded us because of a situation that had happened at our Academy. And so the inmates, they notice everything. They have nothing better to do than notice <laughs> everything going on and listening to everything going on. So if you're talking at an officer station about how you don't like this officer, how they're doing this wrong, you're doing nope. this, they're going to pick up on it and they're going to piece into that. And they're going to go to that officer and they're going to say, hey, they don't like you, you're doing this wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and then it just they start getting secluded more and more to where who are they going to talk to? They're going to talk to the inmate. Yep. Um, and then they become not a rapport. Then they start crossing that line of a friendship. And it's, and it's, it's fast rolling too. It happens way faster than you could even know. Right. I've seen it happen within three weeks of somebody being an, an officer, which to season you're like, that's crazy, but it, it's yeah. fast. If you think about it, you're there more than you're at home. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Especially if you're on a 12-hour rotation, you are with these people more than you are with your family. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm going to change direction a little bit. Uh, you you told me, I think last time we talked, that you were on the uh, the special response team, the CERT team. Yes. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. How was, the, how was that, and how were the challenges of being a female on a, on a CERT team? Well, um, I was able to do my first cell extraction in a lockup housing unit before I was on the specialty team. And mm-hmm. adrenaline from it was something you, you either want that or you don't. Um, if that's something, because there's two sides to NDOC, there was. Um, you can either be a CIT, which is where you a crisis negotiation, right. and you are trying to talk the individual down, or you're the security where, as they call it, the goon squad, I suppose. You, sure. You're going in and you're taking control of the situation. My first one was a feeling, and especially for being the first one picked for it, the first female for my shift captain at the time. Huh? Wow. Um, I felt like I finally have gained the confidence of my supervisors my team and sure. my supervisors that they have confidence in me and they know I can do a good job. So that, that feeling in itself was, it was a goal. It was something that I accomplished and it was empowering. And so then they had put up a posting for the CERT team and they have a physical requirement that are pretty difficult to do. Sure. And I worked very hard for it. Um, the day I had to do my tryout for the team, mm-hmm. it was late April. It was sleeting and snowing <laughs> in Iowa. Um, our new prison was on a flat ground, mm-hmm. and you had to run outside two miles in 18 minutes. Wow. Around the prison twice. And yeah. it was sleeting and snowing, and I, I did it in 15, but mostly because I was freezing. <laughs> you wanted back inside. <laughs> I was over it. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. But the other part of the physical as well, I passed. I had beat out some male officers that were going up for it as well. So Interesting. Um, I worked hard for it, and I wanted it. And at that time when I past everything. I was the first female cert officer that ISP has ever had, and still to this day, the first one that they have had. Excellent. So going into it, they were transitioning from a full-time to adding in some part-time cert officers. Mm-hmm. So they weren't very happy with that as well, the, the full-time officers that have been on the team for a long time. Right. Um, Even though... You know, you spoke earlier that maybe quotas had to have some, had something to do with you getting hired. You made this team. Mm-hmm. You know, that that wasn't a, yeah. a quota thing. You, like you said, you beat out a couple of the male officers. So mm-hmm. it still didn't really change how they were looking at you, huh? No. Hmm. Um, no. 
Not as far as the regular officers, the correctional officers. They were very supportive. Right. To my face. Um, you know, you have the few that are to your face. Always. Behind your back. Say sure. what they say, but that's anywhere. That's any work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I was on the team, there was backlash from the guys on the team. You know, now they have to share a locker room with a uh, woman. Right. We had our own room, our own locker room, our own shower room with the door, of course. But now they have a lady in there. Mm-hmm. So there was a little bit of a pushback. Mm-hmm. But I just pushed on forward and matched <laughs> their tone. You're going to be an asshole. I'm going to be a big B. Right. Right back at you. Sure. You know, you're going to treat me the same as everyone else. And I'm going to do the same. I'm going to conduct myself the same as all of you are. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, they started accepting me more and more. How long did that take? Um, it took a few months. I would say okay. about six months to prove myself. Right. I had to be in a few cell extractions with the team and be in training with the team. We had very physical trainings where you do gauntlets, and I had to hold my own just the same as they are. Mm-hmm. So it was difficult. It was very difficult, but I was determined, determined to do it. Right. So let me ask you about doing the use of force ex- uh, cell extractions. You know, with Priya in place now, um, how are they dealing with that, with having a female on that extraction team? If, you know, once you get the inmate out, if you're having to decontaminate, take him to the shower, how are they dealing with that where you're at or where you were at? Or did they deal with it? So that was that was one of my first uh, questions going in. I was like, we need to know. I need to know exactly my what I can and cannot do. Right. As far as Priya and laws go, so that we are aware of it and we can handle the situation smoothly. So we have a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Um, I am only five foot two. So in the placement of a stack, I was really efficient in being iron because I could manipulate myself in between the officers and get control of the, the individual. Right. Um, so once that went about and we escorted him to the shower, I would step out. They would, the male officers would do what they need to do. And once then he was changed, I would step back in and be back a part of the process. Right. So we had a plan in place of where I would be and what I would be a part of and what I couldn't, whether, and I understood that. I understand laws. I'm not going to say, (laughs) well, that's not fair. You know, I'm not one of those. I just, you worked with it, just worked with it. So. There is, of course, going to be situations where it's unavoidable. You just have to conduct yourself in a professional manner. Keep yourself in that professional manner. It is a job to do. Mm -hmm. And not look at it as an inappropriate situation. Right. Well, I'm going to get off on my soapbox for a little bit here. Because um, as a captain, I had female lieutenants. And so we ran into the same problem. I've got a lieutenant running this cell extraction. That was what was asked. Do I take this lieutenant, make her stand around the corner because, you know, she can't deal with the decontamination because of Priya and this type of stuff. But then I can have a female nurse come in, you know, wash the eyes out of this inmate that's in the same situation. And it has always struck me wrong that the laws that they don't consider a female correctional officer to be the same professional that a female nurse is. I don't see why a female correctional officer or a female lieutenant in our systems can't go in there and do a professional job without us thinking that it's being sexualized. You're not in there trying to get a look at anything. You're in there to do a job to extract this inmate out of the cell to make the prison safe, to make them safe for their self or, you know, whatever the situation may be. So I've always had a problem with the way that we do that since we got Priya. And that is making that female staff step to the side and be different than our male staff. I think they should be considered the same professional that a medical professional is. So back off my soapbox. <laughs> I, I 100% agree. I, if there 
is a situation where a female officer is not conducting themselves in a professional manner and doing it because it's your job and this is something that has to be done for the safety and security of others in mm. the facility, sure. then that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. But it should not be placed as a blanket. Right. Um, I did have one situation where I was the only third officer on duty and was in the cell extraction and the new officers, I had to kind of teach them how to do the extraction really quick before we had to do it. And mm -hmm. you know how, in your experience, how that probably goes. <laughs> um, it went well and right. nobody was hurt. Everything was, was uh, done okay until we got to the point of stripping or undressing him. Sure. To make sure that he had no... Injuries. Objects on him that can hurt him or somebody else. Sure. The new officers had no idea how to do it in a way to keep him still in his restraints. It could be used as a training moment, but it was getting to the point where it was about to get unsafe for everyone. So I just stepped in and just did it myself. Right. And it was a needed situation. So mm -hmm. that's how... We conducted it, and I conducted myself in a professional manner and got the job done and then stepped away and let them finish doing what they needed to do. Right. Um, but I 100% agree what is the difference between a correctional nurse and a correctional officer. I have yeah. taken an oath just the same, and I have seen nurses get in themselves more of a pickle and more of a bad manipulated situation than a correctional officer. Mm-hmm. So I agree with your soapbox 100%. Um, and in DOC, they do strip searches before any inmate goes to wreck. Mm -hmm. I have seen where you have a male and a female on exercise, and the female just stands off to the side and doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And that is not a way I conducted myself or trained myself or them. Right. I can grab their clothes. Yes, I may not be able to do the strip search, but I can still be a part of it and still do the job. Wow. And that's where us females need to step up, and we're here to do the job, too. Yeah, that's good advice. Don't step off to the side and use it to your advantage, either. Yeah. To be lazy or not help your officer. Right. That, that's good advice. Do you, so do you that's feel... Kind of my soapbox is that, too. <laughs> right. So do you feel like sometimes in these situations that the agency is actually causing, because I know female COs, they want to go in and do their job. They don't want to look, be looked at as anything other than a correctional officer. They don't, they don't want female correctional officer and male correctional officer, mm -hmm. but it seems like our agencies and even the government keep throwing this stuff out there that, that differentiates you, that makes you stand out. Well, she can't do this or yeah. she can't do this. But then at the same time, they're talking about equality and they're talking about, you know, not treating people different. And it seems to me like it's the agency and the government sometimes that is causing that. Yes, I agree 100%. When I began um, at ISP, there was actually a female-only post. Mm -hmm. And it was for a visiting room. I saw that as odd. And I, it's it's starting to transition now, and I think it's because there are more females getting into this field, having their voice heard of, we want to be treated the same as everybody else. We can do the job just the same, if not better at some time, sure. than a male can. Sure. You know, we're all here to do a job, and you should not place us on a different spectrum, because then we're out outcasted and that gets picked up and that's more of a hurdle we have enough hurdles to go through on a day-to-day -day basis to not be put another hurdle there by the ones that are supposed to be on our team <laughs> right you already have that enough makes sense. it does you already have enough scrutiny why do things that cause more scrutiny i yeah. I, I don't know it, it almost feels to me like either we're going to as corrections say Yes, there are times that we need that female-only post or that male-only post, or we're not going to have that. Come around and say it one way or the other. 
don't play this both sides of the the aisle thing that I feel like we're doing where no everything's equal except now. <laughs> that, I don't know. That's kind of the way I feel about it. Can't tell you how much I appreciate you having this conversation with me, and I, I, I hope you'll come back on again sometime, and um, we can continue with more of this. But before I, before I end this and let you get off here, let me know some of the advice that you, because I know a couple of the messages I've gotten are from female officers who are just starting, and they said, you know, uh, you need to interview a female officer. Uh, we want to hear that side of it. So what would you say to those female officers that are just starting, you know, is there some advice out there that you could give them? I would say my number one advice is be confident. Okay. Um, Walk with your head high. The inmates like to go after those who are not as confident and not as stern. Stay firm, fair, and consistent. Mm -hmm. So do not give one person a an in and able to do something that you're not going to give everybody else to do if you're if you're going to let this one take a longer shower or have an extra milk you better be ready to give everyone that same option because right there you've already opened that door mm-hmm. um but be confident and that's not only with the inmates be confident with your officers too and have each other's back. Mm-hmm. Um, confidence is definitely key and keep each other suggestions and advice for other females that go there. Work together. Don't tear each other down at all. Mm-hmm. So work together and don't tear each other down. Absolutely. And help each other out. Yeah. I'm... Definitely. Number one is be confident and ask questions and learn and grow and keep yourself in a professional manner. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for those words. I do want to take time to just say out there to our female prison officers, uh, thank you for the job you do. You know, when I started and we talked about when you started, there were a few female officers. And I've been to some prisons in the last few years where half of the officers working in that prison are female. They, uh, The female officers are doing a big job out there, and they are a big part of this profession. Uh, thank you for what you do uh, to everybody, and thank you, Natasha. I, I, I really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation, and I, I look forward to future conversations. Yeah, yes, of course. Of course, I look forward to it. If you enjoy these podcasts, the best way to support the Prisoner Officer Podcast is to share these episodes with your friends or, or family on social media. Let me invite you to visit www.theprisonofficer.com. If you haven't already, check out the Prison Officer Podcast on Facebook and click that little follow button, or leave us a message, or better yet, leave us a review. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, please click the subscribe button. Till next time, I'm Mike Cantrell. Watch your back, and please take care of each other out there behind those walls.